0: Stories connect us. They build empathy and understanding across difference. Stories are the basic building blocks of community, if you are brave enough to share your story and have the empathy to listen. But when was the last time someone really listened to you or you listened to someone else?
1: Each episode, we choose a theme and stories from our archives of thousands of stories collected using the Facing Projects model. Every story you hear was produced by two people who took the time to listen and share and collaborate on a monologue told from one of their lived experiences. People who listened instead of judged. What if we all sought to understand? This is The Facing Project. Hey everybody,
0: I'm Kelsey. I'm JR. And we're the founders of The Facing Project. Today's theme is The End is a New Beginning. This is actually our last episode of Season 1, and we want to look back over the past year. We've had a lot of good memories. What stands out for you? For me, it has to be Jay Zimmerman. So Jay has kind of been
1: a mentor for The Facing Project for years, actually. And Jay is the kind of guy, when I told him I was going to go to India, he's like, well, you have to meet gandhi's great grandson i'll introduce (laughs) you like he just knows everyone and this year uh last summer actually had the chance to um tell jay's story and i sat down with him in his home and he had been really really sick um for for months in and out of the hospital and i met up with him when he kind of thought he was nearing the end Mm -hmm. of his life and pulled out my recorder And sat with him as long as his voice would last. And we talked for probably 90 minutes. And um, his voice was a lot weaker than normal. The story that he shared, it was, I mean, I've known Jay, right? Mm -hmm. I've known Jay for years. But you just never sit down with someone and really, really get to know them and ask the questions that maybe you just have not taken the time to ask. And it was kind of like he was Forrest Gump. He was a part of all these different uh, movements and, and one of those movements he was a part of also was the Facing Project, yeah, right? He yeah. led the Facing Racism Project and you know, Jay and his wife, Phyllis, have always been like really, really great supporters of the Facing Project. So just to sit down with Jay, it was such an honor to do that this year and I'm really honored that now we get to share the story um,
2: that Jay shared with me. So let's listen. Times to Make a Difference Jay Zimmerman's story is told to Kelsey Timmerman from A Midsummer Night's Narrative, Stories of Unity in Delaware County, Indiana, a Facing Project Storytelling Festival, performed by Larry Beck. A few months ago, I thought I was too busy to die. But now I've accepted death. I don't fear dying. I still have plenty to do. I had asthma as a kid. I remember being in an oxygen tent. I had this doctor, Dr. Jacobs, who bought me one of those old metal toy gas stations and put it together with me in the hospital. He said it wasn't healthy for me to live in New York City, so my parents moved to Florida. My father found this cottage right on the beach in St. Petersburg. I could literally climb out my window and be on the beach. During spring training, the New York Yankees practiced on my little league field. It was a different time then. The players were more accessible. Mickey Mantle showed me how to hit. I took a pitch from Whitey Ford. I stood in the batter's box shaking the whole time. Scared the living hell out of me. I didn't swing. I didn't even see the ball. It was wonderful. It was incredible. It was heaven. I had a political awakening at 16, opened my eyes. I was in love with this girl and and she gave me the blue book of the John Birch Society, a, a very right wing group. She took me to a meeting that changed my whole view of things. Members dropped all pretense. The prejudice it was all there, out in the open. It was right at the beginning of the civil rights movement. <laughs> I realized then I had to break up with her, which I hated. In high school I did a lot of theater, directing and acting. I won some awards. I would have gone into theater, but my father and mother said, no Jewish boy should be going into theater. You should be a doctor or a lawyer. My first semester at University of Florida, I got mono. I went home and enrolled at Miami-Dade Junior College. Miami-Dade had a large percentage of African Americans, and I was drawn to them. I met a lot of people reading James Baldwin, a huge influence on my thinking. I remember walking into a bar with two friends, and I was the only white person. It was the first time I had to confront being white. It was a changing point in my life. The next year, I returned to the University of Florida. I was writing for a magazine covering a civil rights rally. The National Guard surrounded the African-American neighborhood I lived next to. There were soldiers and FBI everywhere. I went out with friends to take pictures of them. They stopped us, surrounded the car, all of these trigger-happy, shaking kids who were my age, pointing rifles at us. It was scary. I wasn't brave. It was Vietnam, and I could have easily been drafted. My draft number was 156. I thought about enlisting in the Navy, but instead I met with a lawyer in the Atlanta airport. He was a guy who got people out of the draft for $1,500. He told me he could get me out but I had to agree to do whatever he said. If he told me that I had to pretend to be homosexual, I'd have to do that. I wasn't ready to have somebody else have that much control over my life. He didn't get me out of the draft. Asthma did. I didn't know a lot of people who were drafted. I knew people who were getting deferments to go to college. Vietnam was really an unjust war in that way. Most of the people who went didn't have any money or were minorities. You feel two things, lucky that it's not you, and you feel this unfairness in the system. I was studying medicine, exactly what my parents wanted me to do, except that I didn't like it. I quit. I thought maybe I'd be a journalist, so I worked for a weekly newspaper that paid $35 per week. I was assigned to cover a Martin Luther King Jr. speech. I took a friend. It was raining hard. Thank God she had a raincoat, because I split my pants and had to use it to cover up. So with split pants, I asked Dr. Martin Luther King a few questions. I felt a little squeamish. It was pretty powerful meeting him. College was a mixture of being involved in racial protests and anti-war activities. As I look back, my life in action became more focused on social justice, and I became braver and braver. Ultimately, I earned a doctorate in psychology at age 25 at the University of Georgia, and completed my internship at Ohio State University Medical School. A professor in the human potential movement and expanded consciousness movement guided me as an undergrad. He helped me gain a deeper and more holistic understanding of consciousness and a more holistic view of the world. Once you have a consciousness about anything, you can't be unconscious. I was hired at Ball State, and I was doing a lot of diversity work with the Multicultural Center. I felt like I needed some training, and I I went to this five-day workshop by Sherry Brown. It was pretty intense, exploring yourself and issues. Sherry would call somebody up who wanted to do work on themselves, so this lesbian woman said it was very hard for her to be accepting of men because of the way they had treated her. She felt like she trusted me and had me come up. I didn't know whether this was going to be a sort of a collaborative thing or whether it was going to be her screaming at me. We connected really well. She just needed somebody to listen and be accepting of her anger. It felt really significant for her and significant for me. And at the end, she said to me, I want you to make a commitment that when you go back, you'll take an active role. I said yes. I felt like I had to do it. So when I came back to Ball State... I started the diversity team at the counseling center. I started to get involved with the Gay-Straight Alliance on campus, which evolved into Spectrum, the LGBTQ group. I worked with a group of students to start safe zone trainings that were shared and adopted nationwide at hundreds of universities and high schools. The woman from the conference. Amazing that I don't even remember her name. I don't. I looked at the list of people who were there, and I couldn't remember. Being white and privileged and a man, there are things that I could say that might be harder for other people to say. I remember doing workshops with women colleagues, and I would be introduced as Dr. Zimmerman, and they would be introduced as Sharon. I could and did say something about that. The three things I'm most proud of since retiring, leading the Facing Racism Project, my work with the arts and mental health, and my involvement in Whiteley with Food insecurity, which recently won the grand prize from Neighborhoods USA. I've met and worked with some amazing people. I'd really like to start a fund at the Community Foundation. I want to leave a legacy. There are times I want to shake people awake to get involved, but I know that wouldn't change their minds, so it's a matter of helping them start to look at themselves. I've tried to start conversations, conversations about diversity. My whole life has been a part of all these movements. My wife Phyllis and I were involved in United Campuses Against Nuclear War. We did a lot of lobbying. We worked with Earl Kahn, a Ball State professor and Quaker. I asked Earl, how do you do this? It feels like it's a never-ending battle. And he said to me, God only asks that you try. I don't believe in God the way Earl did, but that stayed with me. You just have to try. Keep at it. And it's easy to give up, man. It's really easy to withdraw into privilege. There have been times where I have, when the work was just too overwhelming. Leading up to my retirement party, I, I had this feeling that nobody was going to come. Maybe everybody thinks that. But it was amazing. Students from years ago came. They put together a book with stories from the hundreds of people I trained, Another Legacy. I read all these stories about me, and I was like, who is this guy? Well, I'm dealing with cancer now, and it's been tough. Cancer is not my life. I remain active and committed. Social justice is my life, as well as the love of a great family and loving, giving friends. I especially couldn't accomplish all this without Phyllis. At one of these hospital stays, it hit me. I thought I was dead. My sadness came over leaving people. Phyllis, my incredible grandkids. I have regrets, but I mean, my life is what it is, and I've come to terms with that. I feel like I've had a pretty significant life. I've made contributions. I feel satisfied. You know, everybody's going to die. I told my kids to put me in a canoe, get somebody with a bow and flaming arrow, send me out on the lake, a Viking funeral. I have this notion that when you die, your energy becomes part of the energy of the universe, and some of your energy forms other life. I'll be floating out there.
1: The story was performed at our annual storytelling festival and I have been texting Jay to see if he was going to be able to come and he stopped answering my texts just a few days before and so I kind of knew that the end was near and when that story was performed um, by Larry Beck, who's uh, actor that performs the show some, the sun was setting and just it was like the perfect moment and anyone who knew what jay was facing just like it was such a powerful moment to see the sun setting and to hear jay's voice coming through that stage
0: that night yeah and we learned that four days later he died Mm -hmm. jr what stands out for you as a big highlight over this past year The show. I mean, we've always wanted these stories to reach a broader audience and inspire people to action, regardless of the story was from their community or not. And IPR and NPR have helped us do that by bringing these stories directly to our listeners. Uh, sharing my my story too for the first time. I mean, reflecting back on some of the projects that we actually were more involved with or led, and the LGBTQ plus project here in our community, sharing my story for the first time as a storyteller and having you interview me was um, was different. Yeah, I really enjoyed that too. You
1: I know, mean, with all the work that goes into the facing project, still my favorite thing is sitting and listening to someone and helping, kind of, be part of crafting that narrative.
0: Yeah, and for me it was it was weird. I'm not going to lie, it was kind of odd. I was like, "Oh wow, this this is what it's like to be a storyteller because I'd always been on the other side as a writer or as an organizer." And in the last year, I did sign with my literary agent for my memoir that I spent so much time crafting and then recrafting with her to get it perfect to where it needed to be. And then to have someone else, you, right, retell a part of that story from a different lens and a different mouthpiece um, was odd. And, and there were things that I thought, well, I wouldn't say it that way or do it that way. But it was also good. And it was really helpful to go through that process. And I think in some ways, did connect us in a different way. And you even felt like you got to know me more th- than you had. And, and we've known each other for a long time. From that same project came the next story that literally had me weeping at my desk as I edited it. Uh, It holds so much pain and and beauty. I don't know what else to say other than to have you listen to it.
3: A Shift in Perspective and Ryan Reynolds. Dallas Sanford's story as told to Jessica Griffin from Facing LGBTQ Plus Pride, a facing project in Muncie, Indiana. Performed by David Welty. She sent me to Christian therapy to fix me once, my mother. She tried anyway. I was 16 and it didn't work, of course. But I know that I'm not the son she had envisioned. Being Southern is hard. You have certain expectations about what it means to be a man and a woman. and I'm not sure her view of what I should be included me running off with a man I met on the Internet. His name was Austin and he owned a Mustang. Although I guess that's not just a Southern thing, I see it in Muncie too. After the first Austin, I met another Austin. They used to say, Dallas and Austin? Their love must be as big as Texas. I've never even been to Texas. This Austin preferred to be called AJ though. He helped me deal with my family and we eventually saw them come around to tolerating the gay instead of praying about it. A.J. wanted to get out of our small town and eventually signed on to go into the Air Force while I stayed behind in Alabama and became a drag performer called Dahlia Gage. We got married on my 20th birthday and moved to South Carolina together. Our relationship wasn't without its problems, but he was my hero. My best friend. Have you seen that really bad movie with Ryan Reynolds in it? It's called Life. Life. The science fiction one with the alien and he basically plays a Deadpool redux? Well, I don't suggest seeing it. It's laughably bad. But you know how you associate movies and songs with times in your life? Like you hear a song and suddenly you're transported to the summer of 1998 and you can smell the inside of the car you took a road trip in with your best friend? On a way home from seeing this horrible film, A drunk driver hit us and my husband died. Now I think of that film and I'm constantly reminded how that drunk driver tried to ask me if I was okay afterward and how this man I'd been through so much with was dead. I had never spoken to my husband's parents. They wouldn't acknowledge me. But I had to call them and tell them their son My husband was dead. At the funeral, he was a heroic airman. Not my husband, not their gay son, not their dead gay airman son who left a widower behind, just a brave model airman. I was erased from his life for all heterosexual intents and purposes. That's how I wound up in Muncie, Indiana. I came to live with my friend, and I needed support, and I wanted to go to school, and I couldn't go back to my mother. We were from a small town in Alabama. All of my family lived along a single road, and they enjoyed a simple, quiet life of raising lots of kids between school or shifts at the chicken factory. I didn't know anything else other than my small town, but I knew I didn't quite belong there. I paint, you know. I haven't enjoyed painting in a long time, but I still call myself an artist. I wanted to go to a big fancy art school when I was younger, but my mom couldn't pay for it. It's probably for the best, I guess. Otherwise, I wouldn't have met my husband. Five years later, I now go to Ivy Tech and I'm figuring out what I want to do in life. And who I really am. I want to transfer to Ball State and study art history and maybe education. That friend I came to live with is now my partner. We volunteer at Muncie Outreach together, mentoring kids on how to deal with homophobia and bullying, teaching about the sexuality and gender spectrums, and trying to inspire people to open their hearts and minds. I may feel as though I've been erased and displaced, but people in my situation aren't alone. Finding a sense of purpose in your community, or work, or even your art can really change your outlook. All you have to do is be willing to reach out for help sometimes.
1: We want each story you hear to lead to
0: action. This month, we hope you'll take the time to sit down with someone you know and really listen to them. We're now offering the opportunity for writers and storytellers to participate in our Stories Inspire Action initiative. Information about community-wide Facing Projects, contributing stories that may appear on the show, 10 Tips to Write a Good Story, and sponsorship opportunities is available at facingproject.com slash action To
1: listen to past episodes of this program, visit indianapublicradio.org slash project From there, you can subscribe to this podcast where you'll get episodes of The Facing Project delivered to your device each month. And to continue the conversation about this episode, find us on Facebook at
0: The Facing Project. We'll be back next month for the start of season two with more stories and new format. The Facing Project show is produced by Sean Ashcraft from Indiana Public Radio at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. We are your hosts, Kelsey Timmerman and J.R. Jameson. Until next time, we wish you the courage to share your own story
1: and the empathy to listen to others.